This is Thor, and you're listening to Inside Your Head. your head this is nasty neil and i'm joined by john bonilla lead guitarist and co-founder of hollis brown it's very cool to have you here yeah thank you thanks for having me yeah so i say co-founder so uh when you founded the band with the lead singer uh, mike Matali, how long had you guys known each other um i met mike in high school um through a mutual friend and uh, we were just starting to learn how to play music, and none of us were really good at all. We were just listening to, like, Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam. And a friend of ours set up a jam and we, uh, in Queens, and we ended up meeting, and we went to the same high school, but we met this other friend. And we just started playing, like, Pearl Jam songs, and, you know, and that's how we met. But we didn't really get serious with it until after high school. You know? So... so- uh, how long have you been playing the guitar at that point? Um, I started playing around when I was like 13, 14. I started right before high school, but I was always playing music. Uh, I used to play trumpet and saxophone in you know, school band when I was a kid. And then uh, around seventh grade, I cut my pinky uh, finger off on my left hand. Oh, wow. And yeah, and uh, it kind of didn't really work the same way. And I went through you know, a little bit of rehab. And the doctor told my parents, like, yeah, you should just get him a, you know, a guitar or a violin, something where you can use his fingers every day, and he'll progress a lot quicker. And my dad came home with a guitar that he found. My dad was an elevator musician. He found a guitar in an elevator shaft, and it was the worst thing ever. But I didn't know at the time it was just a guitar, so that's how I started playing. And uh, I never looked back. Yeah. Was it, is it, e- mm. um, if you're musically inclined, I guess, is it easy to pick up another instrument if you're, um, using a different instrument? Um, I think so. I think if you're, I think if you've played an instrument before, it's a little easier. Um, I always find that piano players tend to be able to pick up anything, you know, relatively easy just because they're playing the bass and the treble at the same time. But, um, I think in the beginning I had a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of there was a little bit of a learning curve, but I just played so you know religiously. I played all day and all night, and I just couldn't get enough of it. So I, I got I got the hang of it pretty quick. You know, I was just mm-hmm. listening to bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was listening to Nirvana and Led Zeppelin. My dad had a humongous record collection of every type of music, and he loved the Rolling Stones. So once I once I got into the Rolling Stones, I just. I mean, it just it just became like a way of life for me. Mm-hmm. So, did you and Mike have similar tastes in music? Yeah, um, 
weird enough, we did. I mean, Queens, Queens is a very hip-hop uh, oriented musical place and also hardcore. And we both like hip hop, but we both like the same bands. You know, we, we started listening to Velvet Underground, um, David Bowie, the Beatles. He's like a diehard Beatles fan. And I was like a diehard Rolling Stones fan, but we both like, you know, both bands and we kind of just clicked, you know, every, we liked a lot of the same music and, and we got along. So it, it just worked. Yeah. So before you get like mm-hmm. serious, like we're actually going to form a band, like is that was mm-hmm. is that how you guys became friends was through music? Uh yeah, um it didn't happen right away in high school. You know, I he was in the he was on the baseball team, so he was with a lot of the athletes. It was about I would say freshman year of college. I went off to Pennsylvania, and he went off to Delaware, and we were both like you know keeping in touch with each other and. We were like, you know, what are we doing? He's in Delaware. I'm in like middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania and Lancaster. And we were like, you know, let's just head back to New York. So which is what we did. We transferred over to Queens College and we just started playing. Well, we still didn't get too serious, but uh, we just started, you know, working on our craft. We started listening to Loaded by the Velvet Underground, Ziggy Stars by David Bowie, um, Beggar's Banquet, Revolver. We just started listening to all this stuff and starting, you know, learning these songs and, we uh, convinced my father to let us clean out, you know, my my family's garage. We took everything out and we painted the walls all sorts of different colors and put up our favorite band posters and artists. And we started playing in, in you know, my garage in Ozone Park. And that's the name of the new album, Ozone Park. Mm-hmm. And that's where we started. You know, that's where it really, like, it became like, hey, we kind of want to do this for a living. We don't know how yet, but... This is we know this is where we have to start. Yeah, I assume that's why you named the the new album Ozone Park. Yeah, it was actually my idea. He was like, you know, we got to bring it back home. This is where we started. You know, this is this is our roots, and we wanted, you know, we wanted to. There's not many bands coming out of Queens, New York anymore, and you know, there's the Ramones, and you know, you know our friend Jesse Mallon from Whitestone, but we, you know, this. In the last 10 years, there's not much coming out from Queens as far as rap music goes that I know of. So we wanted to, like, you know, we wanted to show our roots and let people see where, where it came from. Mm-hmm. How, how would you say mm-hmm. Ozone Park uh, compares or differs from your previous work? Uh, it's a lot more modern. Uh, our first album, our first two albums, are, are very, they're rooted in classic rock, kind of like throwback records. Our first record was recorded in Nashville, right on the train, and it was straight to tape live. So it has this really lo-fi tape sound. And, you know, if you if you like 60s rock, that's the album for you. And we just wanted to, we wanted to, you know, make something that, the, you know, the new generation can like and, and, and not be a throwback. Because there's a lot of, you know, people coming up today who love new bands that sound like classic rock bands. And we did that already, and we wanted to we wanted to move move forward. So there's synths on this record. We didn't have any synth keyboards on anything like that. Um, the songs are way better, I think. They're more modern pop rock songs, and also we kind of toned down the guitar solos a lot. I I think there's maybe two on the whole album, as where like our other albums there's a solo on every song, but um. It's 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 more of an alternative rock album than it is a you know like a throwback record I believe. Yeah, which goes back to a lot of mm-hmm. stuff you said you guys were listening to uh, 
when you first met. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were just we were just immersed in that culture of late sixties, early seventies rock. I mean, my favorite era of music is the seventies. So uh, I think we kind of just got wrapped up in that, and we did that, and we you know we still do it. If you see us live, you'll still see that come out. Um, but we just wanted to you know change it up a little bit. We wanted to you know push it forward. You know, the whole point of being an artist is to always change and and test your boundaries and you know we're, we're still doing that you know we're still young it's only our third record and we didn't want to get pigeonholed you know so we wanted to we wanted to break out of that mold yeah so who writes uh, the lyrics uh for the most part mike mike writes almost all the lyrics um here and i think one uh the song stubborn man i wrote some of the lyrics but he uh he, he is the predominant uh lyric writer of the album of all the so- songs really so where where did the other two members of the band come from? When did you guys you meet them? All right, so and Andrew was from Cleveland, Ohio, and we we just met him from being around New York. And uh, he's a great drummer. He, he was just playing in a bunch of bands around New York, bartending. And we needed a drummer, and a friend of ours recommended him. He came in. We tried out a bunch of drummers about five years ago, and and we were just like, wow, he sounds way better than everybody else, and we started talking to him and like, listen, you got to dedicate your life and go on the road. He was like, let's do it. Adam, Adam Bach, our keyboardist and backup vocalist, he comes from St. Louis, where we're actually driving to play a show at the Firebird today. Um, like, he's from St. Louis, but he lived in Brooklyn and we were looking for someone to, you know, sing harmony and play, you know, organ and keyboards. And he, we just got him through friends, you know, friends that recommended him, you know, Adam's been a great addition. You know, Mike has such a high pitch, you know, strong voice, and it, and Adam has a strong backing, you know, backing vocal, and it just worked. You know, it just worked for us. And we just added a new member in uh, January, Chris Chris Ariola. He plays bass for us, and he's actually from Queens, New York. So now there's three members from Queens, New York, and uh, you know, we're we're going stronger than ever. Yeah. So. Uh... Where did the name Hollis Brown come from? Hollis Brown is comes from the song Ballad Hollis Brown. Back in the day when we first started the band, Mike and I were we were trying to throw around some band names. And Mike was like, Hey, you know, the Rolling Stones got their name from Muddy Waters, you know, Muddy Waters song and we're having trouble agreeing on anything, so we, we threw around some names and we're such big Bob Dylan fans. So we threw around, you know, Hollis Brown from the Battle of Hollis Brown. We also threw around um, Mother's Little Helper, which is a Rolling Stone song. There's a couple I can't remember, but, uh, the, you know, Hollis Brown just seemed to stick. And, you know, we're, I didn't mention this before, but we're diehard Bob Dylan fans. I mean, we all think he's the greatest songwriter ever. So, you know, we were just obsessed with him. I mean, we didn't want to pick one of his more famous songs. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to be so on the nose about it. And, I mean, to this day, some people when we show up to venues like Hollis Brown, you know, we're like, oh, we're, you know, we're a band, not a man. But, you know, the five of us together, we kind of create the idea of, of what is Hollis Brown. And uh, sometimes people think it's from, because uh, we're from Queens, Hollis, Queens, because, you know, we worked with D and C from D and C. But, uh, yeah, it, it comes from a Battle of Hollis Brown, which is on the album, The Times They Are Changing. Yeah. I think it's Dylan's third, third album, I believe. I believe. I think it's his third record. It's a great song. Not exactly an uh, uplifting song, but it's just so well written. It's just a, just a 
artistic achievement in, in songwriting that I, I still to this day love the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually listen to it for the interview, so I was just wondering if uh, um, if it was the name of the, the song, or was it more about the lyrics that like uh, seemed fitting for the band? Uh, um, I think it was. I think it was a little bit of both, but we really liked the name. It just sounded cool, um, and it just it didn't sound like any other band, you know. Because yeah. when we were coming up, there was a lot of the bands, the Strokes, the Hummers when we were kids, you know, teenagers. Yeah. And we just didn't want to be one of those bands, the Strokes, the Hives. I think there was a couple other bands like that, the Kooks, who, I, I mean, I love all these bands, but we didn't want to do that because a lot of bands were doing that. And uh, so we wanted to do something a little different, you know? And we didn't want to have, like, a name that, you know, was, like, too rooted in classic rock, even though, you know, the song's a folk song. And... I think we succeeded because a lot of people always ask us where we got it from. Even Bob Dylan fans don't even put it together sometimes until we say it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the decision we made. Yeah. So when you run into someone who knows right away, you instantly know, like, hey, this this person is uh, going. Yeah, actually, I was at a, I went to go see a friend play in Manhattan at a bar called Bell Rev, and Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son, was there. And we started talking, and he was like, oh, what band are you in? And I was like, oh, my band's called Hollis Brown. And he was like, oh, I wonder where you got that from. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sometimes. I mean, it it takes a really diehard Dylan fan or his son to figure it out. But, uh, no, I mean, for the most part, I, some people, most people don't really, like, put it together right away. You know, I'm usually surprised when they do. Yeah. So since your father was the one who found the guitar for you. Um, yeah. Well, what's he? Uh, what's he think of your music now that you know you're, you're the guitar player for for a band? Uh, well, my dad's one of our biggest fans. He comes to every time we play in New York. If he can drive to the show, he's coming. You know, he was a musician. You know, amateur musician back in the late '60s and '70s. He played bass, but uh, you know, you know, he never like made a made a professional career out of it. So he he loves it. I mean, he just comes. He he likes the band. You know, my dad likes music. He likes the stand, the Beatles even some early hip-hop like Run DMC and Prince and stuff like that. So he's just he's just happy about it. He's always encouraged me. He paid for guitar lessons. When I wasn't practicing, he was always like, oh, why aren't you practicing? I guess you don't want to be good, you know, that kind of encouragement. And, you know, he loves it. By the way, how did, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about, how did you cut the uh, the part of your pinky off? Uh, oh, that's a, that's a story. Um, my cousin was cutting the shrubbery in front of the house with a chainsaw mm-hmm. and he had headphones, like these thick earmuffs on. So, cause you know, it's loud. My mother was like, go oh, call your cousin. It's time to eat. It was the summer. And I was probably like 12, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So being a kid and, you know, being, you know, not knowing anything, I went up to him and I tapped him cause he couldn't hear me. I tapped him on the back and for some reason, he just turned around with the chainsaw in hand, and all I remember was putting up my left hand in defense, and then it, it hit my hand, and I remember seeing blood and passing out and waking up in the hospital hours later, and, um, you know, I had no idea what was going on. I woke up with, like, a bandage around my arm with my hand, oh. and... The doctor was like, we were able to salvage it. It's going to look weird. I mean, even if you saw a picture of my kinky, it looks kind of funny looking. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's 
I don't want to say I would never have played guitar, but if that didn't happen, I may not have ever started yeah. playing, you know, guitar. Yeah. I was, you know, I was really into saxophone at that time. I, I was like just getting into like, you know, a lot of fun. My, my background's Hispanic, um, Puerto Rican. So like there's a lot of salsa and merengue and, and my dad loved Latin jazz. And I was listening to, you know, all that stuff and part of horns. So I really into horn playing. And then I got the guitar and, Never, never looked back. Really, mm-hmm. it was like the Ozone Park Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was wild. I mean, I, I remember my mother picking me up and running into the house, and I was like, I vaguely understand it. Um, it was weird because I didn't really feel my pinky for like over a year. It was like it took a while for the nerve to come. So when I first, like when you asked earlier, it was like, did I learn how to, you know, was it hard? Yeah, I don't know if it was hard because I couldn't do it but like my pinky just didn't i couldn't feel the strings they wouldn't do what i wanted to do and i mean now it's fine mm-hmm. but even when like i'm soloing on the guitar i sometimes avoid using my pinky because it is it is weaker and it doesn't move the way like my right hand pinky does but i don't fret on my right hand so yeah i don't know you know yeah but uh yeah so, it is you know so why yeah. i play the way i do i guess so uh <clears throat> Being someone who's you know into the classic rock stuff, what's it like then when you when you're touring with the zombies? Zombies tour was great. Um, that was like one of the first tours that we did where we weren't just playing clubs. We played small theaters and and nicer venues, and it was good to tour with them because we saw how it was done. I mean, up until that point, we were like playing small little rock clubs. And if you, if you ever play a small rock club, um, if you basically put your equipment on stage, you, you can you hear yourself and then you just play. So we saw how it was done. You know, these guys were on the road for 40 years at this point. And, you know, it, it was nice to see how these venues reacted to us. And, and, and the older people there loved us. And, and it just... It was it was good to see how how it should be done, you know, because we had only experienced a small rock club where it's loud and feedback everywhere, and you know it's not the best experience all the time. But uh, you learn to appreciate, you know, the the professionalism of a band like them. And plus, I mean, they those guys are legends. They just have great oh, songs. Yeah. yeah. Well, when when you're yeah. around a um, a veteran band like that, now like you're talking about picking things up by watching them. But do they uh, do yeah. they interact a lot with you and like give you advice or anything? Yes, that's interesting. We've toured with a lot of bands. Um, the Kenny Crows is another band that showed us the same love. But yeah, they. I mean, we've toured with you know veteran bands where they say hello and barely even acknowledge you and don't really care what the hell's going on with you. <laughs> but the Zombies were also like the first band, veteran band we toured with that. You know, they they took interest. They liked the music. They actually came side stage sometimes to watch the set and you know they would ask us questions and, and they would answer our questions and and it was a real it was a real relationship until this day you know when they come to new york you know we see them you know we go backstage we talk to them you know we, we have a relationship with them which is good because i think that a lot of younger bands uh can benefit from the experience of of a veteran band and you know, I hope I hope that to reciprocate that to a younger band, and you know, in the future, when as I get older, you know, because yeah. I, I think that you know, rock rock used to be about you know having a community and keeping it together, and I don't want I don't want it to lose that, you know, because once it once that's gone, 
you know, what's the point of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. with the way, like, current music is, because, you know, most people are, are downloading uh, things, uh, how important yeah. is um, is touring for, for, for a band? Bands, bands are touring for a band is extremely important. I mean, some people are still on the kick, oh, you got to go buy the records, and, and I do think you should, people should buy the record, mm-hmm. but if you really want to support a band, go out and see the show. Go out, you know, it, if you if you want good music, if you if you want bands to succeed, you got to go out and see the show. And also for bands, I got to tell them you got to put on a show. You can't just get up there and you know in your in your day clothes and just play the songs that you know like you're in rehearsal. Um, I think rock is on a is is, is about to have a renaissance because it's been it's been you know in the back in the back room for a while. But I, I think this year with the Rakan uh, tours and Black Keys coming back. And you know our album's coming out. I think this is I think this is a good year for rock and roll, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of years. But touring is extremely important. I I can't stress it enough. Yeah. So when you guys are touring, um, when you guys are on the road, like uh, I assume you all travel together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm sorry. Repeat. Say that again. Uh, well, when you guys are touring and on the road, I assume you all travel together. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. What what is that like? Do you have any road stories? I guess. Oh man, I I can't tell you. Yeah, we have a couple. <laughs> that won't um, get anyone in trouble, I guess. <laughs> well, the camp, the whole County Crow store was was a blast, but it was also a weird period. You know, for me it was it was weird. You know, it was just a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking on that tour, especially for me and uh, our old bass player. Um, and you know, when you're on the road with Four other guys, and there's nothing, and you're drinking every day. You're never gonna be good. Uh-huh. But uh, there's a couple stories. One, one time we were driving on the road, and uh, our wheel fell off, and we were freaking out, and we were going like 60 miles an hour. I mean, I look back at that, and I think, wow, like, you know, one one different decision, you know, not pulling off the road when we did. If we waited an extra minute, even 30 seconds, we might not be here. Uh, there was one time we broke into John Wayne's uh, childhood home, which was fun. We were driving, and and like on off the highway goes John Wayne's uh, childhood home. We get there, and I think at the state, I think it was Iowa or something, and it's a little white shack, one room, maybe two rooms, and it's like 7 p.m. So there's nobody around, and I look up, and it's just a little lock. Like this is a lock that I wouldn't even trust on my gym lock, my gym <laughs> locker, you know. And I kind of just like kicked the door with my foot, and the lock broke. And we went in, and and you know, we we uh, we left the record. Three shots at the time was the album we were uh, promoting. And on the record, we have a song called John Wayne that Mike wrote uh, <laughs> about. Funny. Yeah, it's about John Wayne, but it's really about like, you know, how you know the idea of a man, of what of being a man has changed in in, in over years. And uh, we wrote a little letter, and then, you know, we wrote a song, whoever does not be concerned. And a couple of days later, John Wayne's son, Ethan Wayne, contacted us. Oh, wow. And, and I guess they contacted him, and he was like, hey, I heard you wrote a song about my father. He came to see us in Los Angeles when we opened for the Crows, and he brought, you know, the John Wayne Duke bourbon whiskey, and, we, and now we're friends with the guy, which is crazy, you know? That's, that's, John yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I was saying, yeah, like a... <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, he, he started telling us stories about his dad 
So John Wayne, his son, he, he's younger. He's, I think, the youngest son, if I'm not mistaken. So he got to know his dad when he was older and, I guess, not as active. And he said that he would play the Beatles for his dad, you know, in the car. And I think his dad liked the Beatles. And, and, and I'm hearing these stories about, like, this American cinema legend. And I'm like, and I'm hearing not from the source, but from his son, which is pretty much, you know, as as you're going to get, you know. So that was interesting. Uh, there's a couple other stories I could tell you, but I don't know if the other guys would like it, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. Like this, <laughs> it's almost like a uh, Batman villain where you guys left your calling card. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it was fun. Um, that yeah. was a trip. That old tour was a trip. I mean, that was like, that was a couple of tours after the Zombies tour. And that was the first time we started playing amphitheaters in front of thousands of people. And the camera crews couldn't have been more, more uh, supportive, I should say, you know? And that really changed our careers. Because after that, we, we started becoming, I think, a band that could be uh, like a force to be reckoned with. Like our live shows were better. We were writing better songs. Our confidence on stage was so much better. And, and that was a couple of years ago. And I think when you come see the show now, you will see a band that is in our, their prime. I think we are in our prime right now and we are confident and we are ready to show everyone what we can do. Yeah. So, um, you said, you know, uh, bands should put on a show, not just show up, which I, I, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, is there a difference? Mm-hmm. Do you play differently if you're in a small, like uh, venue? I don't mean like that you, you don't put this much effort in, but do you just actually perform differently if it's a small, like intimate place as opposed to a bigger place where I guess you want to play to everyone in the, in the building? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I aside from how loud we play, but um, I think uh, when we play like bigger stages and amphitheaters, we we move a little slower, but our movements are bigger. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because you know, because from the people who are far away, you kind of look like ants a little bit, you know. But in the club with the smaller stage, I feel like we're a little more higher, like not higher energy, but more like quicker movements. It's it's kind of a feel thing. It's kind of hard to explain. I think everyone's different, but uh, you just have to come and see it. You know, you just have to come yeah. and see and see what we do. It's a weird comparison, but I've interviewed a lot of uh, professional wrestlers, and they talk about if you perform in a big building, you have to play for the back of the uh, so everyone in the back can yeah. see you. So it, it's more like yeah. like this. We said more big pronounced uh, thing yeah. as opposed to like a small place. Absolutely. Well, I dress differently um, for different shows. Like when we play the bigger venues, I tend to wear uh, lighter colors. That way, people in the back can see us and recognize us. You know, because if you're all wearing like if you're all wearing like dark blue denim, and you know, and it's like kind of like 8 p.m. at night and it's dark and there's blue lights on you, you're just gonna look like a blue dot. You know, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know, but uh, yeah, cool I, I I gotta walk into the venue and see how it is before we make. Any like final decisions on our performance? Yeah. So uh, Woodstock '50 is coming up. Um, how did you get involved in that? Well, hopefully it's coming. <laughs> well, I hope it's coming up. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, I think our manager had a connection, and plus we do really well in upstate New York. You know, we played Levi Helms Barn, we played Mountain, and one of our best, uh, one of our strongest fan supported uh, areas is Woodstock in that whole Hudson Valley area up there. So they, they offered us a set, 
and plus the zombies are playing it too. And uh, we, I mean, if you told me twenty, if you told me twenty years ago when I was a kid growing up and I just started playing guitar, like you're gonna play Woodstock, yeah, I tell you, I wouldn't even know, I wouldn't even know how to, what to respond, how to respond. <laughs> and then we got the bill, and then it was canceled, and it wasn't canceled, and then someone pulled out, and then they got a venue, and they lost a permit. So it's been kind of a thing. We're just sort of waiting to be told what to do. Um, but I think it's going to happen. It's going to be a free concert now in Columbia, Maryland, uh, the Meriwether Post Pavilion. It's going to be like a charity event now. So, I mean, I, it, it's less than a month away. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it happens. That's pretty, that's pretty cool, though. That is yeah. for you. I want it to happen, and I think it's going to happen because uh, I think, I mean, I know some of the headliners have pulled out, but, you know, I'm kind of glad the headliners pulled out because if if you don't want to be there, then don't be there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I believe in playing for the fans and, and trying to show the world our talent, and I get why some people have pulled out, but I'm, I'm going there to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever been to the to actual Woodstock? In uh, in New York, the actual location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where the the Mountain Jam was this year. Uh, we played Mountain Jam for the second time. We played it like uh, two years ago, three years ago when Tom Petty played it, mm-hmm. and then we played it this year. So the the location of Mountain Jam this year was the original location of Woodstock. Not oh, the nice. same exact state. Not the same. It was a the area, the farm area, but it's a mm-hmm. it's a, a venue now. But um, yeah. So we we played that area, and Mountain Jam's always a blast. You know that Woodstock radio station and Mountain Jam—they've always been supportive, and they're a big reason why we do really well upstate. And I can't I can't speak highly enough of that entire community of musicians and music lovers and radio personalities. They they just they really shown us um a lot of love. Mm-hmm. So uh, how about touring this uh, summer with Thunder Pussy? How did that come about, and what, uh, what's that been like? Uh, just m- like most tours come, our booking agent said, we have an opportunity. Um, we we actually missed the first gig because our van broke down. We oh. our, our tire got screwed up, and a rotor got damaged from, like, the three on the road. So we're actually, we were supposed to meet them in Kansas City yesterday. We had to cancel the first show of the tour with them, unfortunately, but we're actually going to meet them three or four hours from now and at the Firebird in St. Louis and uh, meet them for the first time. I haven't met them yet, but we've communicated through, you know, phone calls and texts and, and uh, social media, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's, I, I think they have a great look. They have a great sound. Um, we've never toured with an all girl band. And I think that's a good, I think that's great. You know, uh, can get kind of, can get kind of uh, boring to see, you know, 10 guys on stage all night, you know, yeah. time, you know, rock and roll, rock and roll has always been a boys club and it's time that, you know, it starts being more inclusive. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have any favorite venues that stick out that, that you played at? Oh yeah. Red rocks. is One of them. I love red rocks. Uh, we played uh Hollywood bowl. That was great. Um, as far as clubs go, I really love, Beachland Ballroom in, in Cleveland is, is a great. It's like a almost like a school gymnasium. I feel like I'm in Back to the Future playing for the prom, but it's got that look, you know. It's just like some of these venues are just so old; they just are what they are. In New York, I really love playing 
Mercury Lounge. Um, we played Leave on Helm's Barn, uh, wow. the drummer from the band, and that was that's like the American kind of you know church. It's like the center of uh, it, it was almost like a religious experience. And our drummer Andrew got to play Leave on Helm's last drum set, and it's there oh, wow. for whoever wants to play it. Yeah, he was he felt honored. It was a fantastic experience, and it's it's literally a barn. It's not even like a like a it's I've never played a venue like it since or before, and I, I hope to get back there. It's been about two years, but you know, now that we have this new album out, we're touring. Hopefully, I can, and we will. Yeah, very cool. And uh, I'm in Massachusetts, yeah. so you'll be at uh, in Cambridge on August seventh in the Sonia Room at uh, the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be there. With Sonia. Are you coming to that? I would like to. Yeah. Yeah, you should come. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's a very cool yeah. uh, venue. I know the the place, Cambridge itself is. A, I was just in Cambridge Friday. So yeah, it's a very cool area. Yeah. It's really we diverse there. area. There's a you know there's a lot of uh, young people because it's a college town. Well, near co- you know colleges, uh, but then there's a lot yeah, of yeah. older like artsy people and stuff. It's a, it's a good area. Well, that's always good. We were just in Boston. We played with uh, Robert Randolph at City Winery. Oh that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, a person set this up actually invited me, but I it was uh, I couldn't make it. But I would like to yeah. make the well, show. Well, hopefully you can make the one. What, what day is that? August. It's on the Wednesday, August seventh. Yeah. He sets a date on awesome. yeah. Well, I can't. I can't wait. No, I can't wait for you to see us. Yeah, that'd be sweet. By the way, I really like your yeah. logo. Who who uh, did the oh. logo? It's got the nice, you know, uh, old school vibe. Oh uh, yeah, the logo was done. Um, Logo was done by a, a friend's uncle years ago, and we ended up. He did a couple logos, and that was when we picked. We liked it. We wanted at the time we were really getting into like glam rock of the seventies, like New York Dolls and stuff, and we wanted something you know a little not so masculine, but also masculine and feminine at the same time. And that was the one we chose. It's been it's been with us since day one, and seems to be sticking. So yeah. And uh, I just want to ask yeah. quick is about uh, uh, the single that that's out. Uh, Do me right. Um, why did you pick yeah. that one to be like uh, the single? It is very catchy song. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, we picked. We didn't really know where to go with the single because we like so many. It's very hard. I don't think a band should ever pick their single. I think it should be left to an outside, big uh, outside uh, person. Uh, we we wanted that was one of the ones that we we wanted to be single and there's another two or three that we were thinking, but uh, our label came to us and we're like we think this is the one we'd like to put this one out first. What do you think? And we said yeah, I I like it and uh, it was it's very different from our other singles. You know, it's uh, upbeat, fast paced, and it kind of has like a Bruce Springsteen vibe, but you know, simple at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What you, so, what you just said about uh, someone outside should pick the single instead of the band itself—that's uh, interesting. Yeah. I would think like sometimes you would get attached to something uh, that was personal to you guys, either like memories of recording yeah. it, or even like the lyrics are personal to someone in the band or the whole band. Yeah. And it, that might not—you might not be the same for the for people who are listening who don't know the background of it. Yeah, and I think that's important because. Um, you know, when you write something, you get so attached to it, you you can't you can't take the blinders off. So you just think it's perfect. But uh, I think the I think the label made the right decision, and we agreed with it. And you know, that's uh, that's the one we chose. Yeah. 
Very cool. Yeah. So how, how do you follow uh, Hollis? I'm sorry. What were you going to say? No, 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 no. You're good. All right. So how do you follow Hollis Brown? I don't have a website. Uh, it's hollisbrown.com, and we're on Instagram at Hollis Brown. Twitter, Hollis Brown Music, and Facebook, just Hollis Brown. I mean, we're on every social media possible. It's not hard yeah. to find us at all. And we're on yeah. Insta. What I can say is if you're on, uh, if you're on Spotify, just stream the single as much as possible. You know, that's, mm-hmm. today is all about streaming. Streaming is you know, very important. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, things have really mm-hmm. changed since, because uh, I grew up in the 90s, and uh, music, yeah. I remember when Napster came around in the 2000s and really kind of changed uh, how, mm-hmm. how everyone listens to music. Absolutely. Yeah, it has changed. But, you know, it, every generation it has to deal with changes, and it depends on how you deal with them is, is the important part. And I think uh, I think we're getting along just fine. Yeah, right, yeah you like can't fight these change. Guys are, these guys are walking out of uh, Cracker Barrel all right now. I can look at them. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. yeah. Sounds good. Did, did, I'm sorry if you if you had to skip lunch for uh, for the interview. Oh, no, don't worry about it. I, I ate before. I pre-planned. I got a haircut. I woke up. We were in some little town in Indiana. I got uh-huh. to see the area, a little piece of America out here. All right. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate this. It's been a good time, and I look forward to seeing you guys. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you. Right, yeah. Bye. Have a good day. Bye.